What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, it's Yas here and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by a co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT, live on Twitter space, if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, it's slightly different and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joa will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you could let me know your thoughts on the new format and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that is at The Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. You know, what would be the perfect time or, or sort of from our perspective of when to introduce position specific? Obviously, it depends. I think with younger ages, I mean, across all ages, really, you want to give players an opportunity where they can experience different positions and learn the game. Of course, with the younger ages, it's even more vital because they're at a stage where whether it's U9, U10, U11, U12, they're still able to learn a hell of a lot. So there needs to be an experiences where they're, they're gaining, whether it's uh, playing as a number seven and they get opportunities to play as a number 11, so from right to left wing, whether it's an opportunity to play as a defender and then they've got another opportunity to play as a, as a centre-forward because there's linked learning there or equally as a, a goalkeeper or as a centre-back playing then as a number two or a number three as a left-back, right-back. You know, of course, certain children will, of course, demonstrate certain attributes or traits or instincts 
to particular positions. Some might have defensive instincts. Some might be really clever and creative and, and deceptive uh, with their attacking capabilities. Some might have just a tendency to want to dribble and be creative. You can have those players at the back as well because you want players to step into midfield and create problems. But, you know, sometimes you might have players who can, you know, and love to attack and prefer to be in those attacking positions. And, you know, they've they've got those abilities to score goals and create and combine. You're going to see all those tendencies, but then we have a duty of care that we've got to find ways to stretch and challenge that player versus pigeonholing them into a position early on because we know that there's so many examples where players over the years have spent the whole youth career in a particular position and then years later have ended up, you know, in their adulthood, they've ended up being a defender, but they've spent the whole of their youth career as a centre-forward, you know, Jamie Carragher, the many, many other players um, in the modern era, exactly the same, where they've, they've spent the majority of their career outfield, they've ended up as a goalkeeper, as a professional goalkeeper. You've had players who've spent majority of their career as wingers and forwards and ended up as outside fullbacks, you know, so it depends. I would say typically you've got to f- consider multiple things, but when are we, when are they getting a taste for 11 v 11? You know, 13, 14 would typically be when I'd start to consider really honing in on position specific work. Um, 13, 14, 15. But of course it can depend still based on the child, whether it's sooner or later, because you've got to consider, you know, adolescence and pre-adolescence, not just chronological, but physical age and their maturation, as well as that experience of going into 11 v 11. Um, but even then it can change. You know, there's players where we've had them at all levels, academy, professional, grassroots, where we've had them in their primary positions, but then we've recognised something in their individual development plan where we've gone, do you know what, for this child they need to play 50% of the game as a number 10. So that's what they're going to do. Or they need to play, in this particular game, they're going to play X a number of minutes against this player uh, because that's going to give them another problem to solve because they need to get better at X, whatever X is. So you can have those primary positions, then you've got developmental positions, which will link to their development plan. And that will continue to the example I was given at the start, which was uh, Christian McEwen. You know, and this is when I was at under 21s level in the professional game and, and working with, with some uh, interesting players coming from around the world. And basically, with him, he typically always played as a number nine, a number seven, number 11, or a number 10. He was a forward. Um, but he needed to get better at his ability to deal with body contact, his ability to deal with heading, uh, recognising types of movements that, that forwards would make. We actually played him at centre-back. You know, I, was the head, I was the coach there and I put him at centre-half. And again, he was dealing with forwards, giving him all kinds of different contact that he wasn't used to and he was having to learn. He was also learning, even at his age, he hadn't had the experiences before. So this is at 19, 20. It was still a development opportunity. Cost us a lot of fair few results. It affected league position. But I was looking at this for a bigger picture for him in that he was dealing with some really skillful forwards and he was recognising where he didn't want to go as a centre-half and where he wanted to go, how to deal with certain forwards, what worked, what didn't. Um, he was learning how to pick up off their, their second touch or 
deal with some of their disguised movements and actually intercept the ball. So he was learning from that side of it, if you like, on what what not to do. He was jumping and dealing with headers. Yes, attacking headers are different to defensive type of headers, but again, just the confidence to recognise flight, attack the ball, be first to the ball, deal with different types of contact in the air was really useful for him, especially when we were playing against a lot of teams that were direct. So it gave him a lot of opportunities to head the ball. Um, and in the end, he ended up playing as a 9 or a 10 um, in most games. And I can tell you, like his ability to command the air was very good. He actually scored a lot of goals, believe it or not, with, with uh, heading as well as uh, strikes in around the box. Um, and again, movement became a lot better. His ability to deal with body contact as well as um, use his body well to protect the ball and roll off people was very good. And that was over a number of games uh, where equally a lot of people were probably thinking, why are you playing him at centre-half? He's not a defender. And he would he loved to dribble this player, loved to dribble. And often he'd try and dribble and take too many touches in certain areas, in certain situations, and he would get caught on the ball. And once or twice, it would lead to a, a goal being conceded, even at that level. And I was quite happy with that because, he, again, you know, treating him, even though he was 19, 20, almost like a, a 9 or a 10-year-old because he needed it, it was great for him to be able to deal with those types of experiences because for him, for the majority of his youth career, he'd always played as a forward He'd never really gained other experiences. I remember the first time putting him as a winger, as a number seven. After the game, he said to me, or it may have even been at half-time, I can't believe how much time and space I have out here and, and how much time I'm able to get on the ball and get at people 1v1. It was brilliant. And him, and him and another number of players, it was great for them to get that confidence 1v1, 2v1, 1v2, and where to run in, when to get at people, and so on. So again, there's linked learning here. So I would say it depends. Uh, to answer your question, Yaz, at the start, when's the best time? I typically start to think about positions at 13, 14, maybe 15. Um, but again, still seeing it as a project where you can develop people and learn, whilst also thinking about, of course, as they get older, they will have certain instincts and they will have tendencies where you can think, yeah, this player is probably more leaning towards are going to be a, probably a very strong defender. But then that doesn't mean that we pigeonhole them and then eliminate them. Because all we're doing then is we're, we're giving another coach years down the future another problem to solve, which is what I end up picking up at with uh, Christian. You know, So all, all the amazing work that will have gone into him, again, he lacked a lot of qualities. So I think it's really important that we recognise that and we don't pigeonhole kids too early thinking, do you know what, this kid's a defender. Let's just stick him at centre-half and he'll play the majority of the games there because he'll help my team. But is that getting the best out of that kid? And that's, that's the challenge because, yes, you're trying to win the game, but you've also got to think about what are the individual needs of, of that player and how is that helping them in their journey? That, those would be my you know, two cents, Yaz. No, I think spot on. There's some there's some great points, and I think the the key thing that already comes into this is just giving the players or the message that really jumps out at me is just giving the players an experience across a, a variety of different positions, um, and then obviously 
as time goes on, it's more looking at their individual characteristics, whether they be strengths or areas for development, and looking at right where can where can we support the players further, what age and stage are they at? So if there are if they are starting to get some of the old, slightly older older ages, um, especially in the late youth development phase, can we now start to thinking right now it might be a bit more specific around what kind of roles and and positions they're going to be playing within the team and even beyond beyond the team, you know, potentially for the rest of their career. So it's how can we best support them within that? And I think. You know, just you know, kind of my own perspective on that is actually, I don't think there should be much emphasis on positions, um, in terms of changing around too much or being too specific until they do kind of get to the youth development phase. You know, that kind of twelve, um, twelve to sixteen age group. Because so I think prior to that, it's really just about giving them the fundamental skills and helping them develop those fundamental skills that we require to operate within the game rather than a specific position. And I think one of the key things that will come out from that is they'll start they'll you'll start to naturally see patterns and behaviors which will kind of align themselves to specific positions in, in certain areas of the field and that might not just be patterns of behaviors in terms of technical tactical but also looking at their their physical characteristics physical capabilities and not to say that it's specific physical characteristics that are going to limit you to playing in a certain position but they might start to guide where you're going to end up in your career. Whether obviously, you know, the team that you're working for, the team that you're going to be playing in, and the and the coaches that you're going to be working around, obviously, going to heavily dictate and support um, that direction, if you like, or guide that direction, if you like. But I think that's really key. So I mean, you know, it'll be it'll be interesting just to kind of maybe hear if you've got any any thoughts around position specific coaching. But actually, just just before we get onto that, just maybe a quick reminder for everyone on the topic of this evening and a bit of context around the conversation as well. You know, every every week myself and Gerard are here um, taking on questions that have been put to us around different topics, all coaching related, um, or youth development, talent development related at least. Um, and this week's conversation is around, you know, when to go position specific with either directing a specific position for the players um, or the co- whether that be from the coach's decision or the players deciding to play in a certain position or whether that be going... Um, you know, a little bit more deeper into that and deciding on when to actually start doing more detailed position-specific type sessions. So, you know, if you've got any insights or any any questions or any anything you want to share around that, please feel free to kind of raise your hands and jump in. And, but kind of, Gerald, just getting back to the topic of the conversation itself, what are your thoughts? In, you know, because personally, my, my belief is that when they're at those younger ages, like I said, I'm not really bothered what position they're playing, but I'm also conscious that I don't want them playing in too many positions too soon in, over a short space of time. Um, because as well as them having the opportunity to develop skills and develop an understanding of different pictures that might come up from different positions on the pitch, it might also limit them in, in developing a, a a true richness and a depth in a particular area of the pitch, if that makes sense as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's... Is uh, you've got to consider that question between depth versus breadth, haven't you? And recognizing that again, how many positions should they be playing in a game? I mean, the the actual event of a match day is key, isn't it? And how you're planning that? Because often I would plan that even at under tens level, I'd be thinking that you know this child may play max two positions in today's game. Some maybe more, of course, because you might have an injury. You might have a player who's got, you're playing with less men. You might have the, the, there's many factors that may go into it. Yeah, there might be issues with with some of your substitutes, or you know one of your players can only play the first half and has to go off, and you don't have them for the second half, and you have less players. Right? 
and then something else happens. And so it's a little bit different when you're talking at the foundation phase and, and even within the YDP uh, and, and other age groups, depending on the, the level you're coaching at as well. You know, if you're working at different levels, you might, certain league roles, you might be able to do that roll on, roll off subs and slightly different. Um, so I think that's a useful tool because. It can be good and bad, can't it? You know, if you give them too many things to think about, that can be overwhelming. Um, but equally, sometimes, you know, it's giving them extra touches and what have you. I think you're right in terms of, again, it's more the principles and the actions, what player actions and experiences are we trying to give these kids that's going to really develop their understanding. And the fact that they can get an opportunity to play you know, they might play for today. They might have played 50% of the overall game time and they've played the majority in, let's say, you know, centre-back and another position as a as a right-back or a number seven. That could be enough for them for today and that's a fantastic experience. But then equally, you've got to recognise in the games, are those kids getting tested the way that they need to? You know, because I've seen kids who have played in goal for example, they've not been tested for the whole game. So in terms of their, you know, filling up their cup worth of experiences, how much have they really had? You know, if they're not getting shots at them and the team that they're playing for are constantly dominating the ball, they've spent the majority of the game in the opponent's half. Yes, they've played however many minutes in goal, but how much have they actually had to deal with? How many problems have they had to solve? So that's where for coaches, I think you've got to think about that match day experience and is it an event or is it an experience for the player and what are we doing to support the player in that? Um, and then as they get older, I mean, you said YDP, I think often there's a there's a danger that we're in this mad rush to 11 v 11, aren't we? And I see at academy level because, you know, when I used to work at academy, we'd always play... We used to typically play um, small-sided when we were at home. But then we would travel to a Burnley or whoever, right? Um, I could name many names. And at under-12s, they'd play 11 v 11. You know, who's to say that's good, bad or indifferent? But I think there is a danger that if we're constantly in this quest to get to 11 v 11 as fast as, we're potentially missing out steps for the kids, um, and I think that goes the same for position-specific work. You know, is it position-specific or is it actually principles based on how they interact with the game, based on our values? So if they've got this ability to search, discover and exploit space with and without the ball, they understand and they're in activities that are offering them choices, problems to solve, direction, so on and so on. And they know that if they've got the ball, They've got space. Can they step in and overload? Can they create an overload? Can they exploit the overload? If they lose the ball, what's the reaction? What you know? How are they thinking in the future? All these type of things that shouldn't change too much, irrespective of what position they're playing. Because I think the 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 modern and certainly the future game, which is I think Yaz is alluding to, I mean it's, it's chaotic. It's very unpredictable. It's dynamic. How often do you see players in these, you know, that they're running in straight lines and they're starting and finishing in the same position? Or are you actually seeing players interchanging positions? 
and in animation it's moving and there's almost this universality where kids are just interchanging positions all the time. You've got centre-backs who can end up as centre-forwards and so on. That's almost going to become more prevalent than ever. And I think almost thinking about rule changes in the future, again, without going off topic, but it'd be interesting to, to think about it. You know, are we creating these specialists who can only operate in these certain positions? Or is there a, a greater value, which is maybe another question of, developing players who've got the capability to play in any position required because they understand the principles of the game and they know how to solve problems, um, what's in front of them. So they're technically proficient on the ball and they're outstanding without it. They're physically strong. They can cover distance quickly and they've got a defensive instinct. You know, it'd be interesting, interesting debate. I think you're spot on. There's some great points in there. I think, you know, one of the key things that really kind of jumps out at me there is just actually just the piece that you touched on at the end. It's about the principles of the game. So, you know, regardless of position, regardless of age, regardless of anything else, we need to maintain that the the principles of the game are primary. They are the priority, number one. And as long as the players can develop a strong understanding of those principles, they should be okay in operating regardless of the position that they end up in. So kind of just to move things on slightly then, looking at position-specific training as, as, a, as a concept, when do you bring it in? Is it something that you do a lot of? Um, and, you know, do you think there's a right and a wrong way to necessarily go about doing it? Because there's so many different things that people do, which would, and, and they'll label it position-specific, but... From my experience, a lot of the stuff ends up becoming again something that I'm not I'm not a massive fan of, which is unopposed practice. What are your thoughts on that, and what are your experience around that, Gerard? Yeah, we've had to do it in different clubs, and it looks slightly different in every one. And even we, I mean, the role I'm in now, we'll do uh, individualised training and then individual work. Um, my thoughts are: there's a balance for everything, I guess, on the on the practice spectrum. And it, but the closer you can make it look like their game, never mind the game, and give them realism, you know, because, you know, a cone doesn't move. It doesn't offer, we're probably delving off into practice design and other practice theories now. But I think we've done a lot of work. I've done stuff unopposed. I've done stuff unopposed. Typically, if it is unopposed, with interference of some kind. And I've done stuff where it's more small groups, small numbers, um, and quite functional. So in that particular area of the field, and then it's individualised in that respect. Um, I think everything has a place. I think the key is is that it's a, <laughs> for another spanner in the works. You can do individual training where it's like, hey, you're a winger. What are some of the one v one type situations you're likely to experience? Where does pressure come from? or you're the number six, and look at some of the pitches for you to be able to play the ball forward, um, recognise how to break lines, forward runs, what areas of the field are you likely to pick the ball up? Obviously, you can pick the ball up anywhere, but what are some of the scenarios? And you can design areas that have field geography and, and everything else specific, and even go into the, the data detail around the percentage of pressure, whether it's mainly in front, which you typically see if you're sort of central defenders, you might deal with a lot of pressure from in front, faced up, as well as some around and behind. Is it where if you're in midfield, is it mostly going to be around and behind to the side? 
and how does that influence your practice design? So we would look at that, but then I'm going to throw a spanner in the works potentially, which is when people have this phrase of like general and specific practices, shouldn't every practice be specific? And should every practice be individual specific? Otherwise, what's the relevance to the player? So, you know, when we're talking position specific, well, if players have got a particular role to play, everything should be specific. Um, now, that can be in the exact field geography, and it can be as pure as that. Or it could be a specific practice, which isn't uh, necessarily in the right geographical area. But the coach might have created a pretty cool design where I've done it before, where wingers are getting the ball and they're working on their distribution of different types of crosses. But as they're doing that, they're giving different types of balls to, to goalkeepers who can catch it from different heights and deal with different types of service. But it's not exactly like as it would look in a game where the keeper's only in the goal area, and the, which he could do, but, you know, keeper's in another position. So it won't be like a pure what you would see on a game day, but it actually is because you've designed an individual practice where everyone's getting a repetition of everything, if that makes sense. And the keeper's getting his individualised stuff, which could be position-specific, of recognising triggers to deal with the flight of the ball, just confidence in handling, when to catch, when to parry, all those type of things. You might even do position-specific work where it's a phase of play, but that keeper has to recognise when they catch it, have they got a counter goal or a target that they can throw to or volley to, if that's an area that they need to get better at. So within the practice, they're getting a repetition of that. So that could still be arguable position-specific. Um, and that could be obviously more, uh, you know, field geography specific as well. So I think like there's some of the things we would do, but I would argue that everything's probably in some way, shape or form individual position specific. And if it's not, why isn't it, you know, because if it's general, well, what's the relevance to my child? So I think as a coach, you should always be thinking of a, an individualized approach, but then I would probably lean more on, what are the principles for the child that they need to get better at? You know, I, I like to think about player actions. What are some of the player actions that they're going to have to need in some of these problems that we're giving them? The scenarios. So we'd create scenarios and problems. And then you're almost handing it over to the players to go, show me. And it's great because then you're actually seeing them come up with some pretty cool solutions. And that would be, for me, individualised work. Yeah, I think you're spot on there. And I think, you know, one of the key things that really jumps out at me in what you said there is everything should be position specific. And it doesn't mean it needs to be isolated around a particular area of the pitch in terms of this doesn't need to be a specifically a midfield practice. But actually, no matter what practice you're doing, it should be set up in a way where it can recreate moments, behaviours or actions that are expected to arise within the game from each player within it based on where they're currently playing. So if that is, you know, a centre-back or a full-back or whatever position you're doing, what are some of the, the common actions that you're going to be expected to do, you know, produce in a game? And are those things coming up within your sessions? And I think this is where, you know, one of my biggest bugbears is sometimes when I'm when I'm watching sessions and or, or when I'm out observing coaches, it's, you know, they, 
they'll 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 make an argument for something like um, okay, there's some passes taking place, yeah, but those passes aren't how they would look in a game. So where's the context? And I think that's the one key thing that you know I'd encourage all coaches to really remember around, around every single session they deliver. You have to have context. Um, our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you don't have that context, how can you expect the players to truly understand the the benefits, the understanding of what the practice is, is, is trying to get them to do, but also allow them to understand how and where, when and if it's even possible to apply it when it comes to the game situation. And they can only do that with the information around the context of the practice, why they're making this decision, what would, what would be different if, rather, if something was different, how would that affect their decision? Would they still go for the same same option? Would they still, you know, would they change their minds? Would they go and, and why and when and what would change their minds in that respect? So I think there's there's a lot in there, and I think you know it'd be a great a great opportunity for maybe to get some of the listeners involved and um, see if they've got any perspectives on a when or any you know when or if they've had any situations where they've actually gone down the route of picking a position for a player, whether that's been. Uh, you know, by themselves or whether the players actually come to them and say, actually, I'm going to play in this position. This is the position I want to play in and how they've kind of maybe dealt with that. So, you know, just just while we're waiting for if any, if anyone does want to get involved, if there are any questions around anything that's been said so far, please feel free to kind of get involved, raise your hands and get, um, ask us some questions. Hey Mark, you're up, mate. How are you? Tell us um, a little bit about yourself, where you're coaching, and we can kind of go from there. Yeah, hi guys. Um, well done on persevering uh, <laughs> earlier in the session. Um, yeah, it's just a quick one. So I'm uh, level two grassroots coach uh, in Billericay in Essex. Uh, I deal a lot with the foundation and the youth development phase uh, as well, boys and girls. I just this is a really interesting topic and one let's face it we've all anguished over for quite some time i think 
and I'd be very surprised if there's anyone listening that actually disputes that we should be rotating positions and and the like. And you know, we all know what the benefits are. But I think what we do also need to think about is that's in an ideal world. Certainly in grassroots, it is so difficult to do that, even if you have the best intentions to, because some of the pressures, even though you're not in the professional world where you will. You know, you live or die by your results to to a certain degree. Um, you still have pressure with you know trying to make it fun for a child. You know, some kids I've had have had absolute breakdowns because you've asked them to play left back. Um, you've also got parents uh, that only see their son as a striker, and you sort of get them nagging you, and then you've got the danger of them leaving. So I think it's one of the things, yes, this is absolutely right. We should be rotating positions. I can completely see the reasons why. But I'm sure that we'll all agree that it's that's the ideal and that sometimes it can be pretty tough to do that in certain settings. And it will be quite interesting to see how you guys would suggest that we can overcome that and try and sell this uh, utopia of uh, everyone being able to try every position. You've hit a pl- oh, that is an absolutely fantastic one because that is the reality. I really appreciate you sharing that. And I think the key word that you've said at the end is sell, isn't it? Because I think it all starts from not necessarily in season. It's what you're doing before season. Um, I've experienced those exact same problems that you've had, even doing it in America at a grassroots level. And over there, it's 10 times worse because it's pay to play and parents all think they're an expert, just like they might do in the UK. But over there, you're dealing with a lot of type A personalities. Some of these guys are CEOs of their own companies. There might be the big shots on Wall Street. There's a number of things going on and they love control and they'll argue with everything. And for them, it's no, my, my daughter or my son is only going to play this position, that's it. You know, he's never going to play in goal or whatever. Um, I would typically, the way I've managed to overcome some of those would be that parent meeting at the start where I'm outlining expectations for the team. You know, because, you know, has your team got a, for want of a better phrase, a full-time goalkeeper or not um, at that particular age group? Um, If they haven't, obviously that makes things even more challenging then everyone's got to understand and accept that there's going to be a rotation to who's playing in goal and not. Um, if if you've got somebody that's prepared to play in goal or wants to be a goalkeeper, prefers playing in goal, are they still getting opportunities to play outfield? Because that's really important for them, for their development. So you've got to be able to do that. Um, and how many keepers have you got on the roster? Because that influences, you know, game time. And are they getting 50% each or what, what's happening? who's starting, who's not starting goal. Um, one thing we haven't talked about today, we're talking about positions, but we haven't talked about how often, who starts and who's subbing, you know, because that plays a factor in that as well, in that fight. Because if the kid's always on the bench and he's coming on at a certain position and then he's playing other positions, or likewise, he's getting substituted and then he's playing in this other position, that can equally have an influence on the outcome, not only of the game, but of course parent perception and what have you and I think we've got a plan for all these things we've got a plan for you know who's starting who's finishing who's going to be playing X number of minutes in what position 
of course, the game will throw things that we didn't expect and injuries or whatever else. Or like you said, the kid has a meltdown and something else might have to take over. So we're gonna, for every plan, it might go out the window a little bit. But I would say to deal with all those factors, you've got to have a, a really strong parent meeting at the start where you're outlining to the parents, here's the vision and expectation from me and from the group. What are your expectations? And then letting them know how their expectations align or misalign with the values and the player development model within the club and within that team. And I've normally come at it from a strong standpoint of here's the reasons why we're going to do what we're going to do. And I would often lead with questions where I'm asking them, you know, what are some of the attributes or qualities that you you think these players or your children you'd want them to have in order to play the game? And a lot of the time they'd say, oh, they need to be adaptable, they need to be this, they need to be that. Ah, brilliant. Well, there's another reason why to, to uh, you know get those qualities that you're looking for we're going to do this, this and this. And I would let them know beforehand um, and even, you know, try and prime it to some degree with certain players where before the game they know, you know, they're going to play this position, this position. So you're almost pre-arming them. Um, certainly kids who I've dealt with who had a tendency that maybe they were on a, a spectrum in some case, um, letting them know ahead of time was really important because they would have a meltdown if it's, you know, even if you had to change from that, you'd have to explain why you're changing from it and all of it. I think it all comes down to early communication um, and good communication um, to the point that you said, how you sell it. And then equally, the benefits, you know, what are the benefits of them playing in those positions, irrespective of the result? Because, you know, it's so easy to get caught up on the wins and the losses but actually, like, what opportunities did that child have today to get at people 1v1? What opportunities did they have to build out from the back or whatever it may be? And that's how I would tell it to the parent. I'd say, hey, by the way, I've noticed Mark did so fantastic today. It's really great to see him dealing with um, some different challenges in this position, and here's the reason why, and blah, blah, blah. And I think those things just reinforce um, doing feedback with the parents, doing your talk next to the parents. Everyone has different opinions on that, but I would normally, um, at academy level and grassroots, I would I would do the talk near the people who are listening so they could hear some of the messages that were being shared to the players. I just felt it was really important. Um, and all the years doing it, I think it, it aided in a lot of these things. I'm sure other people might have a different perspective, but from my experience involving the parents as much as possible and letting them understand the reasons why we do what we do and hearing the half, like, not the halftime talk, sorry, the, the post-game review and stuff like that was really, really vital. Um, so, yeah, they're just a few snippets from me. Yeah, I think some great points there from Jordan. And Mark, I think it's a really great question as well. And I think one of the things, um, just to kind of pick up on what Jordan said, you used that word sell. And I think... For me, one of the things that I've kind of really tried to do in, in in my own experiences, in my own journey, is that what just remember, why do people play the game? Um, what do kids love to do when they show up to a session? It's not just kids, but even adults. What do we love to do when we show up to a session, show up to a pitch? The first thing you can, you can kind of really think about is just people smashing balls into goals. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you've got to ask yourself why. Why do they do that? 
Is it because of the idea of smashing the ball into the goal that it is such a great thing, or is it the feeling they get from it? So I think what we what we have to really do is try and pay attention to the emotional part of it and the and the feelings that they they gain from it. So people like scoring goals because it makes them feel good. Uh, there's a sense of achievement, sense of success, and it's a kind of really easily quantifiable way to kind of measure that success too. So looking at that is how do we then create those emotions from other aspects of the game? So whether that be um, tracking back, whether that be blocking shots, whether that be defending and winning tackles, we've actually got to try and spend more time and to put more emphasis on actually celebrating those moments of the game as well and getting not just the player to recognise that these are great moments, but also the, 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 the collective amongst them. So, can we, you know, might might be putting putting on sessions in your in your in your training, um, putting on practices in your training sessions rather, where actually there's an incentive for actually getting out there and blocking shots. There's actually an incentive for um, tracking back in, getting back into shape, and whatever that might look like. Whatever whatever it is that you're trying to quote unquote sell to the player, what are some of the actions that you're hoping to see and 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 get them to kind of act out, if you like, and really applying some incentives for that. Because that's the only way you're gonna you're gonna sell anything. Is just what's the benefit for them? Well, the benefit for them is right. If you can, if you're if you're able to stop a shot by making a block, um, rather than a tackle, or rather than an, you know make an interception, rather than go to ground and make a tackle, as an example, right? You know, and and if your team can then go on and score from that, you might give them a bonus point or something, whatever that might be. That whatever you think it is is going to hook those players into kind of doing more of those actions. And eventually, they'll start to understand that actually, we, we can't. We're not just going to feel good from scoring goals. We're actually going to sc- feel good from different things. And a lot of that comes down to the, the social recognition. So within their group, is that now being recognised as as yeah, this is actually a really good uh, skill, really good ability that I've got to stop the ball from going into the back of the net, whether that be a goalkeeper, to intercept the ball to stop the forwards from getting on it, or whatever that might be. I think you pretty much you should hopefully understand where I'm coming from with, with that, but that's probably what I would say. Um, rather than selling the position specifically to the player and getting them to think about, yes, you know, you're going to want to play in this position. Give them the incentive. Once they get the incentive, they'll probably put more work in trying to achieve that outcome. And then once they put more work in trying to achieve the outcome, it'll be easier for you to say to them, "Well, oh, do you know you were great at really, you know, really great at intercepting the ball there." And I think you do a lot more of that if you play in this position here. So how about that? And it becomes a bit of a negotiation and a bit of a, you know, that's the bait, the initial bait that gets me to say, actually, you know, maybe maybe I could see myself doing that because I've had a bit of success doing that in the session because of the incentive that you gave me, which motivated me to go and complete those actions, if that makes sense. I mean, hopefully that helps. I don't know if you've got any um, responses to either my, my, my answer or Gerard's answer to your question, but um, I think there's a lot there to kind of maybe think about and consider. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. Um yeah, uh, negotiating. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way of putting it. Um, when was the last time you tried to negotiate with a five or six year old? Uh, they're too good for me. Um, I think also just the one thing I will say as well is just you're not going to please everyone. Um, but if you set out your store at the beginning and just stay true to that, then some people will leave, some, but you'll also attract more players as well. So, you know, stay true to your principles and you'll get through it. I, I think you're spot on there, Mark. And, you know, just to kind of just finish off on that final note there, you know, you're right, five or six years, they probably are the best negotiators. But what I would also say is people will negotiate 
only based on what they know. So I think it's up to us as coaches to share share with them and open up the doors that they haven't even know that existed for themselves, for the group with it in front of you. So I think if we if we can start exposing people constantly to new new opportunities and new experiences, that's the least we can do. And you know if if the negotiations negotiations don't go our way, it might not be now. It might be in two, three, four years time. Who knows? But we've we've given them a door to potentially walk through. Um, and you know, as Gerald likes to say. You know, if we don't if we don't solve some of those problems now, we leave. We, we, we're kind of it's a bit of a lazy a lazy approach, and we're we're then leaving it up to someone else in three, four years, maybe ten years time down the line, to actually have to solve a different type of problem now. So can we start solving some of these problems early on by giving them these different experiences? Um, but yeah, no, Mark, thank you again for your question. I really appreciate that, and I ho- hopefully some of that helps. Johnny, how are you, man? Yeah, I'm good, Jazz. Yourself, man. I'm I'm delighted you managed to get us back online and up and running after the hard start. I was just negotiating with Twitter, wasn't I? I finally got there. That's yeah, good, man. So things that's come to mind, just listening, especially what Mark said, was, I mean, I've spent a lot of time in academy football up here in Scotland, and I regularly ask the question is, if you do make it to the what happens if the best player in the team plays in your position? What are you going to do? Because you're unlikely to move them out of the way. So that's kind of a question I would use a lot. And then I'm also thinking about using training as a sort of subconscious or a hidden way to create it. So I love to play games where it's first to three goals and whoever wins gets to pick the position of other players. So the shape changes. And you know fine well that the centre-halves are going to stick themselves up front and they're going to stick the strikers in defence. So that was sort of something that was coming to my mind. I was just thinking about you know other ideas that you guys have on that sort of point and using hidden ways of training to exploit it. Yeah, I'll I'll start off on that one. I think um, you know it's, it's a great it's a great question. Again, I think one of the things that I, I I look to kind of really think about is yeah, you might have someone who's uh, potentially the best player in the team at the moment, whether that be at first team or whatever age group you're kind of working at and you're going into next. However, I think it's really important to understand that as well, uh, that although that person might be the best, they're not always going to be the best. Um, but more importantly within that, it's what's making that person stand out and what's what would what's the standout thing about you? And as you know, I sort of speak to a lot of people about this, whether that be coaches or players, and it's looking at niche. What's the niche that you that you bring to the table? Um, and I think it's really important that, um, yes, we want to develop in every area possible. We want to get better at all, all sorts of things, but we want to become specialists. Really, that's what I think. That's what it's really about. What's your USP? I don't want to go in and be, you know, a second-rate version of Gerard. Gerard. Gerard does what he does. Gerard does what he does very well, and that's that's what Gerard does. Um, but I'm yes. What do I bring to the table? Gerard might have some qualities that I, you know, I admire and I want to kind of uh, bring into my own way of working and the way the way I deal with whether that be coaches or players themselves. But ultimately, I've got you know an area that I feel like I'm strong in, and that, that's where I should build my platform from. And, and one of the biggest things I say to all coaches, and I think this applies to players as well, is that the question I give to a lot of coaches, you know, if I if I was to start a new football club right now or rather I've got a new coaching staff and going into a team right now, every member of my coaching staff would have uh, a million pounds a year guaranteed for their salary before bonuses. What's the one skill 
or one job or job, uh, job you know responsibility that they would have that they know that they're not necessarily the best at because it's not always about being the best but they know that they've got that on smash you know without 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 a shadow of a doubt they that there's something they're really good at so as an example someone might turn around and say well i'm not the best on-field coach but i'm great at building relationships and you know really setting a positive environment now think about it in this way if you're if that if that's what you're good at the, the response you know the the job comes with this one condition the moment that you're not performing in that in that capacity of your role you're getting the sack now if i put it into put it to you in that in that in that from that perspective what would that one niche be for you what would be that one responsibility for you and that kind of in some ways that will help you to establish what your usp is going to be and i think that's just be the same for the players you know, what, what, what's the one thing as a player that is going to make you stand out? Yes, this person is currently the best in the club right now in this position. But what's going to, what's going to be the thing that's going to help you get in there and show a different perspective and something that's going to out, outshine that quality or that, that ability they're currently displaying in the, in the environment they're currently in, if that makes sense? I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Gerard, and if, that, if that's of any help, Johnny. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, even when Johnny was even saying about... Um, the little games you'll do, and then even what you were just talking about there, it's all different. I mean, I'm I'm going to try some of these out myself because I've not I've not done them before, so I'd be interested to see what they, how it all works. I mean, my thing would be probably I, I think it's so important to try and create competition and duels within the practice. So everything there's got to be competition in everything that we do, and even if that's um, Jules and you know a certain player is playing as a winger against the fullback. Who's the best fullback in that in the club in that position in that practice or in that team? You know, creating those little jewels and how does it, who gets the better of each other in that game? So when we're playing in the little scrimmage at the end or or in the phase of play, whatever we're doing within the practice, who's getting the best out of that duel and that challenge? And then finding ways to create a point system where players, uh, are, wherever they move on the field, if they're out playing and out thinking their direct opponent, they're getting extra points. And I think you can almost have it as a table. So there's a big phrase called like competitive cauldron, where the environment's compared that it's, it's creating this effect where everybody's measuring every standard and you're, you're obviously finding ways to live up to those standards and exceed them and everyone can see where they are on the leaderboard who's at the bottom who's at the top when they've played against each other who's got who's uh three and oh and all that type of stuff and then i've often used that along with um being at academy level and working the pro game where you know the distance is covered you know the pass percentages you know all these different things for players who, who are in your position who are in the first team and then how you compare to them. Because I think those visuals, however you do it, or if you're at a grassroots level and it's just as simple as creating jewels and a point system and, you know, the number of times you've played in that particular position has led to X number of goals and you've got the better of that of opponent. Brilliant. And seeing who's at the, the end, uh, who's at the top of the leaderboard at the end of the week, I think that's pretty cool because I think what you'll start to do is see who, who really wants to thrive to be the best in the, their particular role. But then equally, when they're playing in other roles, how can they get better at those 
Um, I think these are all things that are up for grabs, right? And everyone can tweak each one depending on, as Yaz said, like their context and their environment. Hundred percent. I think you know, the real the real key message is like making it bespoke and relevant to the people in front of you. So that, you know, working with the players, understanding the players, and I think that it always takes time. You know, Mark mentioned it earlier. You're never going to please everyone, but I think the one key thing is you, you know, to to get closer to in order to be able to doing that if it's even possible is just really taking time to understand the people who are in front of you and the people who are around you within the environment. Um, now, Gerard, some great points there. And Johnny, again, thank you for the question as well. Hopefully that helps. I'm not sure if you've got any, anything in response to that either. You know what? Thanks for that. The only thing I'd add is also remember to ask if if the lads you're coaching are watching players in their position or the positions they like to play in. Because I've had the odd conversation with parents or players and they'll say, how often have you been to the first team? In the academy, they get free access to first team games. So obviously, how often do you go and watch your left back, or how often do you go watch the midfielder? And sometimes the answer is never. So, so you have to maybe sometimes ask that too. But thanks for everything tonight, boys. Great shout! Great shout! Hundred percent. But you know, just um, just to kind of give a quick recap to everyone. Obviously, myself and Gerard um, are here every single Sunday evening, eight pm taking questions um, that have been put to us and, you know, just, just having a little bit of a discussion really, not, you know, not so much a debate, a discussion, a collaborative conversation with, uh, between ourselves and anyone else that wants to join in really. So if you've got any questions, if you've got any um, topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the, on, on the space, please feel free to get in touch, let us know. Um, and, you know, if, just to follow up on that, you know, if you haven't caught the, the full space uh, discussion, they all do get um, recorded and they get put onto the Coaches Network podcast where you can have a listen to it on all major platforms um, a few days after recording them. So, you know, I just want to thank everyone who's been involved tonight um, and sorry for the initial technical issues that we had at the start. But Gerard, maybe just a brief message from you about you Learnbly and uh, where they can maybe get in touch with yourself as well. Yeah, just really excited with everything that, you know, myself and Yaz are doing and feel free to access the platform. There's going to be some interesting courses that are going to be added uh, tomorrow and next week, we're going to be talking and, and adding some great content from leading experts. There's going to be some online courses around leadership. There's already a ton of courses on there around position-specific work, individualised training, opposition analysis. Any topic that you're looking for, you can actually personalise your learning. Um, we're going to be adding some content on match day as well, event versus experience, how do we view the match day and a load of more other stuff. Uh, obviously, you can access mentoring, personalised mentoring as well, with myself, Yaz, and, and other people in the team. So it's a, a fantastic resource for, for anyone. So youlearnbly.com, and uh, yeah, check it out. It's going to be it's going to be good. And uh, just really appreciate the opportunity to keep having these discussions with everyone and, and yourself, Yaz. It's always, you know, it's always good, it's refreshing, and uh, we're all learning from each other, and Hopefully, we're able to apply some of these things. I know I will be tonight. I'm doing an ID session here. So, uh, I'm going to try some of this stuff out tonight. Awesome. Well, look, thank you very much again for your time, Gerard. Everyone else that's been involved. Um, just a quick sign-off. You know, if you guys can just uh, keep following us, keep being involved. And it's great to hear the community's growing. Lots of new conversations taking place. I just want to kind of just be there to support one another in a collaborative way. 
um, you know, whatever angle we're coming from, whatever level of the game we're working at and whatever whatever role we're working in. And hopefully we'll see you guys next week. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.